Hey, Just Thinking family, at the outset of the podcast, we want to mention a resource that you'll find incredibly helpful regarding the topic of the assurance of salvation. It's a brand new book by Joel Webin of Right Response Ministries. The book is called Am I Truly Saved? with the subtitle, A Study Through First John. Each chapter contains clear explanations of passages that are concise and easy to understand. Headers in each section will guide your eyes and keep you on track. Conclusions will wrap up each lesson and offer practical wisdom that you can apply to your life. And lastly, Webin has offered reflection questions that will energize your devotional life and certainly enable you to navigate the, with conviction uh, what you're experiencing as you meditate on the Word of God. Am I Truly Saved? It's, a, it's forwarded by Costi Hand with endorsements from the likes of Justin Peters of Justin Peters Ministries. Ben Merkel, president of the New St. Andrews and son-in-law of Doug Wilson and many others. The book is a, an essential commentary on First John written in a devotional style with thoughtful reflections that will be incredibly helpful as you navigate through First John. It's priced very affordably and can be purchased right from the website. You can get a physical copy or a digital copy copy by going to justthinking.me forward slash truly saved. Again, going to justthinking.me forward slash truly saved. T-R-U-L-Y-S-A-V-E-D. Get your copy today. Whether you're a pastor or a small group leader or someone who's just trying to examine a recent profession of faith, this book will be a trusted resource for decades to come. May the Lord use it to sharpen you, enable you, and to assure you of his calling on your life and his sure grip on your soul. Welcome to the Just Thinking Podcast with hosts Dara Harrison and Virgil Walker, bringing you cultural apologetics as well as social issues from a biblical worldview. This is the Just Thinking Podcast. Let's think. We're back to another edition of the Just Thinking Podcast. I am Virgil Walker. And I am Daryl Harrison. What's going on, Omahe? You still got people writing that, man. It's it. The, the funniest thing to me is not even you saying it now. It's how people are writing it now. They write Every, it how I. They write it how I sing it, bro. Okay, okay, that's how, okay. That's how, it, that's how it's supposed to happen. That's what's <laughs> happening, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, man, if I don't know about you, but I am glad to be back, man, live behind the microphone, kicking it with you, walking out. This next episode, man, really excited. Any 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 initial thoughts you have before we before we jump into something that's very sober with 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 regard to what we're going to talk about today? Indeed, bro. It's been a minute, man, since we've been behind the microphones together because yep. Yep. what the uh, when we released the George Floyd episode. As a matter of fact, we released the George Floyd and the Gospel episode on June first. Mm-hmm. So wow. when the episode that we're recording today drops on July first. It will have been an entire month. Wow. Between episodes, man. That's hard to believe. I mean, time has really flown uh, between now uh, when we released this episode on July 1st and then right. our last episode with George Floyd and the Gospel. But speaking of that episode, man, I have to thank, uh, and I know I speak for you when I say this, I have yeah. to thank all our listeners. We've got a ton of new listeners as a result, yeah. Yeah. a ton of new subscribers to the Just Thinking Podcast as a result of that George Floyd and the gospel episode, the feedback that we've been receiving on the episode has been un 
believable. And even yeah. a month afterwards, even a month after its initial release, mm-hmm. re- release rather, that episode still c- is continuing to edify folks and feed folks and really answer some questions that a lot of folks had around that incident when it occurred a couple uh what what a month and a half or so ago almost two months yeah. ago now yeah. and uh just a thank you a, a heartfelt thank you and a shout out to all of our listeners you know that episode now as we speak here at omaha as we record this episode today on sunday june 28th that episode has now exceeded one hundred and thirty thousand downloads wow that's amazing absolutely amazing I, I would have never – here's the funny thing, man. I know and you know this well because when you and I got ready to record that one, you didn't want to do it, first of nope, all. Nope. Uh, <laughs> been there, and done I know, that. I, yeah, I know a lot of it is because we, we've covered that ground so much. But I also think that because of the fact that we've covered that ground and been, and been really faithful to be consistent with a biblical worldview, that there were a lot of folks who, who wanted to hear from us and hear us navigate that lens – uh, you know, with regard to the issue, and that that was, uh, it, was it was sobering to do. That there was there was no there was no joy in doing it. But at the same time, man, I'm seeing how God has used it in a very very powerful way uh, for His glory. You and I have been everywhere. While we haven't been on the microphone recording an episode for Just Thinking, it, it I mean I don't think a, a a week has gone by since the since the the previous recording where you and I haven't either been on some other podcast or some other you know, show or, or speaking live, do, be doing a live stream Q&A with churches all across the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that's been an absolutely uh, amazing, amazing experience. And, uh, and I'm, I'm grateful to God for, for a, the, that the listeners did what they did and that it, that it, it got the, uh, j- just, just put us on a different platform from a, from a standpoint of like to the point you made earlier, new people hearing us maybe for the first time and then going back into the archives and uh, and and listening to to other aspects of what we shared as well. So, yeah, that's very true. And we we really just can't thank our listeners enough. Thank you all for taking the time to listen to the George Floyd and the Gospel episode. Um, as you heard, my frustrations at the beginning of that episode. I didn't want to do the episode because, like I say, this uh, that that episode, the subject matter that we dealt with in that episode, that was not Virgil and my first social justice rodeo. Okay, right. we've been talking about and recording writing about those issues for months and right. years if you want years. to talk about just yeah. exclusively writing about something but right that that episode that that subject matter was not foreign that wasn't new to us we've been doing episodes like that for the longest slavery reparations racial reconciliation sin by proxy uh whiteness, social, whiteness right. uh, social justice when forgiveness isn't woke enough i mean my gosh that was territory that we've been covering for quite a while, but mm-hmm. that all said, I want to give a, a sincere shout out to all of our new subscribers, our new uh, listeners to the Just podcast, and we pray that uh, you'll stay with us, that you'll stick around with us. But uh, you know what's really sad, Omaha, if I, as I look back on the whole George Floyd and the Gospel episode, how did we go from something as serious as that episode was from a subject matter standpoint to now, whereby mm-hmm. we're talking about Aunt Jemima being anathema. Right, 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 right. Eskimo pie being right. anathema. Right. Uncle Uncle Ben's rice. Uncle Ben's rice. <laughs> teeth whitening. Oh, that's right, right. You can't whiten your teeth anymore. At least you can't say that you're doing that, right? 
all those terms and 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 uh, you can't you can't stay in the master bedroom anymore. Can't that's, stay in that's the master wrap. bedroom anymore. <laughs> How do we go from George Floyd being killed by a police officer and everybody, right. uh, you know, lamenting you know uh, police brutality and, and and injustice to where now? I mean, they're, uh, Aunt Jemima, dude, really? Right. Whitening teeth is oppression now. Who knew? Oh, my gosh, man. But I'll, <laughs> listen, you and I were talking off air a second ago. I'm feeding some pancakes myself. <laughs> I've got I've got a box of Aunt Jemima pancake mix. Right. Matter of fact, I like to use the kind where all you need to do is add water. Right, so right, right, right. I can't, I can't make it from scratch, so I'm, I, I take shortcuts. <laughs> But I'm probably going to have some after we're done here, man. Right, right. Just, just out of spite, I'm going to have right. some Aunt Jemima pancakes. I, I'm, I'm going to go buy up all the Uncle Ben's I can find <laughs> while I still can. While, while I still can, right? Bro, you, can you believe there might be a black market, no pun intended, for Uncle Ben's <laughs> rice? Is this crazy or what, man? This it's like an upside-down world, man. It's like this an upside-down world. Yeah, This is absolutely ridiculous. And then we have the nerve to your point about it being upside down, we have the nerve to call it uh, being respectful, uh, you know, being uh, unoffensive. Right. And but but man, the morals and ethics they just change with the wind, bro. Yeah. It's it's, yeah. it's getting more and more difficult every day. Mm-hmm. It, it's mm-hmm. crazy, man. Well, anyway, all that said, man, I know you got some preliminaries to go yeah, through. Man, go yeah, let we, you we, do your thing, bro. Let me let me do my thing. This episode. Uh, is this is a special dedication? We don't do this often, but but we don't. we we don't we don't. I think this is this will be number three, right? Of, yeah. of the three out of, of almost a hundred episodes. Hundred episodes, only right? Third time we've done this, yeah. But we wanted to send a special shout out, a dedication of this episode to Miss Lorene Spratt, a first Bossier Church in Bossier City, Louisiana. Did I say that name right? Bossier Bossier it's, Church. It's actually Bossier. 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 I hate when I do that. I know, man. right, man? I know. I, I know. hate when I do that. I know. If, I, if I if I could, I'd record it all over. But but it's already there. It was, but the, the dedication is special, right, to Miss Loreen Spratt. I got that part right. I got that. It is, much right. uh, yeah, Miss Loreen Spratt. She has been a fan of ours, bro, since almost day one. Yeah. Uh, Miss Loreen Spratt is the executive assistant to uh, Pastor Jerkovich there at mm-hmm. First Bozier. Pastor Brad Jerkovich Thank there you. at First Bozier Church in Bozier, Louisiana. Yeah. And uh, you know she's a, she's a huge fan, of this, a huge supporter, just a huge encourager. It was amazing uh, to get a chance to talk to her, man. I it really was, enjoyed it our was. time, yeah. Because yeah. we're looking at uh, making an appearance there at First Bossier Church in October yep. Yep. of this yep. year. So yeah, we want to dedicate this episode episode to Miss Lorene Spratt. Hey, Lorene. Hey, and then the second thing is, and encourage encourage female listeners in particular to subscribe to uh, the Women's Hope podcast it's a podcast of the masters university there in southern california it's hosted by dr shelby cullen and kimberly cummings and on the women's hope podcast shelby and kimberly bring hope and encouragement through 25 years of combined experience in biblical discipleship and in, and in counseling as acbc certified counselors. Shelby and Kimberly provide biblical and practical wisdom by coming alongside women with the, with the teaching and resources necessary to grow in grace and knowledge of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please follow the Women's Hope podcast, as well as Shelby and Kimberly on Twitter and Facebook, and the links will be included in the episode notes. 
Yeah, just a tagline on that uh, uh, announcement you just made about the Women's Hope podcast. Uh, Dr. Shelby Cullen and Kimberly Cummings are personal friends of mine, and I cannot mm-hmm. vouch uh, for this podcast any more emphatically than I am right now. Uh, I personally mm-hmm. feel that there is a, a significant dearth of substantive theological content available mm-hmm. for Christian women. Um, But the Women's Hope podcast is solid. Uh, Shelby and Kimberly, as you mentioned, Omaha, 25 years of hope and encouragement through their respective experiences uh, in offering biblical discipleship and counseling. They're both certified ACBC counselors. ACBC is the Mm -hmm. Association of Certified Biblical Counseling, probably probably the most rigorous biblical counseling certification regimen that anyone can go through. And I speak mm-hmm. from experience there. So uh, to our female listeners out there, please subscribe to the Women's Hope podcast. As uh, Omaha mentioned, the link to the podcast will be included in the show notes. Uh, when you uh, when you download this episode, or when you go out to your favorite podcatcher to listen to this episode, scroll down and read the episode notes and you will find a link to the Women's Hope podcast, which is a podcast of the Masters University. Uh, well, thanks for that, Omaha. You know, and as always, it is a privilege and a blessing to be with you today, my brother and my friend, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as we record a new episode of the Just Thinking Podcast. I think, uh, I've lost count, I think this is either episode 99 or 100, but in either case, you know, it's, it's just unbelievable to think uh, that we're near the century mark. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and we, we owe it all, of course, to the grace and mercy of God first, and then secondarily to the loyal support of our listeners Many of whom, as I said earlier, as we both mentioned earlier, who are relatively new to the Just Thinking podcast. Any thoughts you want to share about that, bro? Again, just like we said at the, at the top, incredibly grateful for uh, everybody who's listening to us, who's who's been with us maybe from the early, early stages to the beginning to now has experienced the growth and our comfort level behind the behind these microphones. And, uh, and it's a joy. It's a joy to be with you, connect with you. And I'm looking forward to our, our conversation today. You know, I'll tell you what, Omaha, and I know I've said this several times before, but the topic we're dealing with in this episode of the Justing and Podcast may very well be the weightiest mm. in terms of spiritual significance that we've done to date. And as we just mentioned a second ago, we're talking about 100 episodes. The topic that we're addressing today is assurance of salvation, which happens also to be the title of the episode. Mm. Now, as you know, Omaha, in God's providence, we landed on this topic not because of any design or planning on our own. In fact, Truth be told, we don't plan any of our episodes any further than the next one. Uh, and, and, and in <laughs> right. fact, as we, as we record this episode today, we have no idea what the next topic is going to be for the, the next episode that we do. We, we just right. know we, we, right. we're focused on this episode and this episode only. So but our decision to dedicate this episode of the, of the Just Thinking podcast to the topic of assurance of salvation came about, interestingly enough, as a result of a tweet that I sent at 3.43 p.m. on May 21st, 2020. That's 3.43 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on May 21st, 2020, which read as follows, quote, I said this, I said, if you're a Christian who struggles with assurance of of your salvation, remind yourself of these two things. One, your salvation is grounded in God's character, not yours. And then parenthetically, I mentioned Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. And two, Because of number one, the God who saved you will keep his promise. Then parenthetically, I mentioned 1 John 2, 25, as well as 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. 
Now, little did I know that the words contained in that one tweet would resonate so deeply with so many professing Christians. And by resonate, I mean to the extent that within only a couple of hours of sending that tweet, it had received more than 1,300 likes and been mm. retweeted more than 350 times. Mm. Okay, so, so needless to say, when I saw the level of response to that tweet in that short a period of time, I mean, it became apparent to me rather quickly that the assurance of salvation was in fact a matter of great urgency and concern to many Christians and that it might be of benefit to the body of Christ if you and I, Omaha, were to take some time to speak to that issue here on the Just Thinking podcast. Mm. Any thoughts on that, my friend? Well, I'd I'd agree that with this particular topic that that there's a lot of – interest there's a lot of thoughts around it and i think it's it's an important subject uh, on the one hand i think you get you get two extremes on the one hand you get those who perhaps pray to prayer salvation and these same people are those that you see who absolutely have no real life change uh and they believe themselves to have punched their ticket to heaven so you got you got that on the one side and then on the other side you have those who've truly trusted Christ and they're growing in sanctification. They have a deepening understanding of their depravity and, mm-hmm. and they're, they're often questioning their salvation the mm-hmm. moment after they've sinned. So, mm-hmm. so, so like you when, when you, when you identify these two kind of extreme positions, I think that, I think the, to get clarity on this particular subject is incredibly important. Um, not only for others, but also for, for my own life as well. Like many men, I, I've struggled with this topic from time to time. And, and mm-hmm. I, I think any true believer in Christ examining their lives, if they if they begin to note, notice a, a pattern of sin, they begin to ask themselves the, a question about about salvation. So mm-hmm. I, I couldn't be more excited, man, to to jump into this topic and for us to do the deep dive that I know we always do on the Just Thinking podcast. Well, appreciate those comments, Omaha. You know, and having said all that, let me say that the topic of assurance of salvation is one that, theologically speaking, is so deep and so wide and so broad that it is neither feasible nor reasonable, for that matter, to think that we will be able to speak and peel back every layer of that subject in this one episode. So to listeners who are in the sound of, within the sound of my voice, as you listen to this episode on assurance of salvation, Okay, please do, do, please do not do so with the expectation that Virgil and I will speak to every possible aspect of the subject that may exist. Okay, because if that's your expectation of us in this episode, you are going to be sorely disappointed. This episode is not intended to be an exhaustive treatment of what in reality is a topic that could be discussed to infinity. Okay, that said... Our target audience in this episode is professing believers, okay, professing believers in Jesus Christ who are struggling with assurance that they are, in fact, saved. Now, that we are focusing this topic primarily on professing believers is because, by definition, unbelievers are unsaved. Mm -hmm. And being unsaved, that is, having not placed their faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, they have no concern at all about assurance of salvation to begin with. The unbeliever wants to be as far away from God as he or she can. Now, I say that on the basis of what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Paul writes, but a natural man, in other words, an unbeliever, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. In John 3, 
John chapter 3, verses 16 through 19, Jesus said this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. Verse 19, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. In John chapter five, verses 37 and 38, Jesus said this, and the father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you for you do not believe him who he sent. In John eight forty seven, Jesus said, He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them, because you are not of God. And lastly, in John 17, John 17, verses 6 through 9, Jesus said, in, in what has been referred to as high priestly prayer, said this, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you for the words, which you gave me, I have given to them and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. So scripture is clear that unbelievers have no concern or regard whatsoever for the things of God, let alone being saved from their sins, because as Jesus said, they love the darkness rather than the light. In the book, Indwelling Sin in the Believer, Indwelling Sin in the Believer, the renowned Puritan John Owen gives us a stark description of what that darkness actually looks like. Owen says this, quote, When Christ comes with his spiritual power to conquer the soul to himself, he has no quiet landing place. There is no ground but what he must fight for. The mind, the affections, the will, all are secured against him. And when grace has made its entrance, Sin still seeks to dwell in all its coasts. The mind has its own darkness and vanity to wrestle with. The will has its own stubbornness, obstinacy, and perverseness. Every affection has its own waywardness, aversion to God, and sensuality to deal with. Hence, it is that our knowledge is imperfect, our obedience weak, our love not unmixed, our fear not pure, and our delight not free and noble. And Owen closes with this. Enmity against God is diffused throughout the whole soul, mm. unquote. Enmity against God is diffused throughout the whole soul. Mm-hmm. Anything you want to add, Omaha, to anything that I've said to this point, now, bro? That, that last quote just, again, I've been spending so much time in Romans 7. It's one of those things when you, when you study a particular book, everything sounds like the same book that you just studied. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> that particular quote just, just 
re- reminds me of, of, of Romans 7, where Paul is saying, man, that which I, which I don't desire to do, I'm doing. That which I desire to do, I don't do. And, oh, wretched man that I am, who, who, will, who, who will redeem me? Who will save me from this body, body of death? And, and, and that's, that's exactly kind of what Owen is, is speaking about, but that when, when Christ comes, his spiritual power is to conquer the soul unto himself. Anyway, th- I, I think this is, this is an important first point that, that you make. And, and while I recognize that this is a preliminary point that you're making, it, it's an important one nonetheless. It establishes the fact that this is a subject that true believers should indeed care about. Amen, I, right? I, I'd often make this point with someone that I'm that I'm counseling. Uh, you know, when they when they come to me saying, "Hey, I'm really wrestling with this issue of of, of salvation, of assurance of salvation," the, the mere fact that they care about the issue in and of itself should suggest that they are indeed a true believer. Mm-hmm. Um, scripture is clear that, that one who is hostile to God does not care to please God in this way. Uh, mm-hmm. Romans chapter 8, verses 6 through 8 says that to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Again, we have a lot of ground to cover, so I, I won't spend a, a ton of time quoting a bunch of texts. But I, my, my thought is just it reminds me both of, of Romans 7 and Romans 8 and the reality of the life of the believer who should desire to know more and more about this particular topic we're going to jump into. Amen, Omaha. Great stuff, bro. So, all right, with all that as preliminary, as I was preparing my notes for this incredibly heavy theological topic, Omaha, the question that kept coming in my mind was this. Where in the world do we even begin to broach this subject? Where do we even start? Mm-hmm. So I figured, hey, why not begin at the beginning? Now, regular listeners to the Justin and Podcast are no doubt familiar with our repeated emphasis on the importance of defining the terms we use. Mm-hmm. Now, that will be no less the case in this episode. Whenever possible, we like to go to the scriptures to define the terms we use. Very seldom, if ever, will our listeners hear us cite a secular dictionary as a primary source for explaining or exegeting biblical and theological concepts, except in situations where using those definitions will help solidify or augment the understanding and application of an already established biblical principle or precept okay now why do we bother to do this why do you and i omaha even bother to take the time to define our terms well let me answer that question by quoting from pastor and theologian w.r downing w.r downing from his book an introduction to biblical hermeneutics in that book dr downing says this quote every believer should strive to become a skillful student of the bible The scriptures are our one objective standard for both our faith and our practice. Everything else is subjective and prone to change. Religious tradition, ritualism, ceremonialism, habit, and neglect are all harmful to the Christian. Further, the influence of worldliness, doctrinal departures among professed Christians, and the ignorant dogmatism of some all have their baneful effect. Unless we have a firm grasp of the meaning of the scriptures, the written word, and are able to quote it, utter it, and declare it with authority, we will lack direction and discernment in our efforts to defend the faith, unquote. Now, 
Along those same lines as W.R. Downing, Pastor John MacArthur, in his sermon titled Resting in the Assurance of of Our Salvation, said this, quote, The health of the church and the impact of the church is always based on the church's ability to keep objective truth clear. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth, and the health of the church is always based on her ability to keep objective truth, biblical revelation, clear never to blur the line between truth and error. When theology is watered down, the line is rubbed out, unquote. That was John MacArthur from his sermon, Resting in the Assurance of Our Salvation. So with all that as background, I'd like to begin, Omaha, by setting some context for the discussion we're about to have, which begins with asking and answering the question, what does the word assurance actually mean, biblically speaking? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. What does the word assurance actually mean, biblically speaking? Now, our listeners may be surprised to learn that the word assurance appears only seven times in the entire Bible, seven times in the entirety of Scripture, twice in the Old Testament, that's in Deuteronomy 28.66 and Job 24.22, and five times in the New Testament, okay? Once in Colossians chapter 2, verse 2, and four times in the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 14, chapter 6, verse 11, chapter 10, verse 22, and chapter 11, verse 1. Now, in both of the aforementioned Old Testament passages, Deuteronomy 28, 66, and Job 24, 22, the same Hebrew verb, aman, spelled A-M-A-N, the same Hebrew verb, aman, is used. Now, when translated, that word aman means to prop up, to support, to be stayed up, to sustain, to be firm or unshaken. Now, the word carries the picture of being able to safely lean on someone, specifically with the idea of a mother or a nurse carrying a trusting child securely in their arms, uh, such as in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 4. Now, interestingly, in the aforementioned New Testament passages, Colossians 2.2 2, and Hebrews 3.14, 6.11, and 11.1, there are two different Greek words for assurance that are used. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 2, and Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11, the word assurance is the Greek verb pleroforia, pleroforia, that's spelled P-L-E-R-O, P-H-O-R-I-A, pleroforia. Now, I know that word pleroforia sounds more like a medical condition than a part of speech, but (laughs) trust me, it is a verb, okay? The word pleroforia translates to mean to have full, entire, and uninhibited confidence and conviction, okay? Now, I want to read the two aforementioned New Testament verses so our listeners can hear that word pleroforia in context, okay? First, Colossians chapter 2, verse 2. That their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance, the pleroforia of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself. So that was Colossians 2, 2. Hebrews 6, 11. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance. There's that term again, 
pleroforia, the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. All right. So that was pleroforia as used in Colossians 2, 2 and Hebrews 6, 11. So in those two verses, we have the Greek verb pleroforia, meaning full assurance. Okay. That's the first of the two Greek words. The second Greek verb that is used for assurance is the word hypostasis, hypostasis. That's H-Y-P-O-S-T-A-S-I-S. We find the word hypostasis in Hebrews 3.14, 10.22, and 11.1. Now, the verb hypostasis is a compound of two Greek words, hypo, H-Y-P-O, meaning under, and histemi, H-I-S-T-E-M-I, histemi, which is a prolonged form of the Greek verb stao. Stao is spelled S-T-A-H apostrophe O. Stao means to cause or make to stand, to cause a person or thing to keep his or its place, to stand still, to stand immovable, to continue safe and sound, to stand unharmed, to stand ready or prepared, such as in uh, Romans 5.2, where Paul says, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. That word stand is the word hypostasis. So when we look at what assurance means biblically, we understand it as being a full and confident belief that we will be able to stand before God safely and securely, immovable, unharmed, completely ready and prepared on the basis of the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed or credited to us by faith. And we'll talk about talk more about that in a few moments. <clears throat> Excuse me. But that all that begins begets the question, prepared and ready for what? Okay, so if 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 standing in, 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 in the grace of God means that we'll be able to be ready and prepared. The question is prepared and ready for what? Now, the scriptures answer that question for us in many places. For example, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 6 and 7, where it says, Remember him, that is, remember God, before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed. The pitcher by the well is shattered and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14. The conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Acts 17, verses 30 and 31. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. And of course, that man is Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Romans chapter 14, verse 12. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Second Corinthians five, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. 
Then Hebrews 9.27, And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. Now, all those verses remind us of three universal realities. Universal meaning these realities apply to every person. Mm-hmm. Number one, they re- those verses remind us that, that, that there is a God. There is a God. Number two, that this God is holy. That, that God is holy, okay? And number three, that there is a day of judgment awaiting every one of the more than 7 billion people that currently inhabit this planet and that none of us in and of ourselves innately possesses the degree of righteousness that God will require of us when that day comes when we will see him face to face, okay? So those are the three realities that apply to every single person. There is a God, this God is holy, and that there is a judgment day awaiting every one of us, okay? It's Romans one eighteen, Romans one eighteen and 19, right? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness, I'm sorry, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them. And later on in that chapter, Paul says, because of those realities, all of us are without excuse. excuse. We're without excuse. So each of us, Believer and unbeliever alike knows inherently that there is an accounting coming. Hence, the concern on the part of some believers in Christ about the state of their salvation. Okay, as John Calvin said in his Institutes of the Christian Religion, quote, The only real worth which we bring to God is to offer him our unworthiness and vileness so that in his mercy he may make us worthy of him to be cast down within ourselves so that we may be comforted by him, to be humbled within so that we may be exalted in him, to accuse ourselves so that we may be justified by him, to die to self so that we may find life in him, unquote. In his commentary on Romans, continuing on the thought process of John Calvin, in his commentary on Romans, he said this, quote, we shall never be clothed with the righteousness of Christ, except we first know assuredly that we have no righteousness mm-hmm. of our own. Mm-hmm. Unquote. Mm-hmm. Thoughts, Omaha? And this is a powerful section, and and I just want to encourage our listeners to, especially those you mentioned it at the top. We've got a a lot of brand new subscribers, a lot of brand new listeners to just thinking maybe they jumped in on the. George Floyd and the, and the gospel episode. And, and that was not like anything that we've done on just thinking. So I, I want to, b- before I jump into my commentary, I want to kind of lay that framework because mm-hmm. if, if that's the first episode that you listen to this, you, you may be overwhelmed by what you just experienced. And really what we're now walking through is more like what we do on a regular yep. basis. Yep. Um, we define our terms. We walk through exactly what's meant by those terms. We use scripture to interpret scripture. Uh, this, this, is, this is what's called the biblical hermeneutics. This is, this is what we do as we try to understand what the text is saying. And not only what the text is saying, but what the text means mm-hmm. by what the text yep. is saying. And so I, I want to lay that out up front. This is kind of new to some of you if you're listening to this episode on the back end of that particular one. But like, like, like we said earlier, I, I really loved what you said by toward about the the, the third half of of where you were were walking through, where you said that there are three universal realities, and that is one, that there is a God, two, that God is holy, and that three, there is a day day of judgment awaiting 
everyone. And this is the this is the condemnation awaiting all of us who are fallen in Adam, right? If we're fallen mm-hmm. in Adam, there's a condemnation awaiting us, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if, we've, if we've not repented of sin and placed our faith in Christ, we need to recognize our condition apart from Christ fallen in Adam deserves God's righteous wrath, his judgment that awaits us all. It, it, it's this point that Paul would make over and over again in every epistle that, that he wrote. And what you just shared is the reality for which all of us should come into direct contact as we acknowledge our sin and our need for a savior. And this is the consistent refrain of scripture. Romans chapter three, verse 20 says, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified Hmm. in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Ephesians chapter two, verses one through three says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So time and time again, the truth of our condemnation should indeed be evident. Furthermore, our lack of ability to leverage our own efforts Mm -hmm. to regain that which was lost should indeed be evident as well. Uh, Here in in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, and you you and I have had to constantly leverage this particular Mm -hmm. verse of Scripture in the current climate, right? But but even in this instance, it needs to be revisited. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. We, we recognize that the law is insufficient to overcome sin, overcome the dominion of sin and, 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 the, and the lives of, of all of those uh, born, born of Adam. It, it simply has made us aware of how sinful we indeed are. And this is an incredibly important first step. This is, in, this, this is what the Bible talks about when it talks about we need to be poor in spirit. We need mm-hmm. to understand our condition before mm-hmm. God. I love the quote that you quoted earlier from John Calvin. I'll reiterate it and end my, my, my portion of the commentary. And you said this quote, we shall never be clothed with the righteousness of Christ, except first, first now, uh, assuredly that we have no righteousness of our own, unless we first mm-hmm. know assuredly that we have no righteousness of our own and quote that's that's an incredibly important first point to make and i'm glad you made it you know interestingly omaha and, and to boil this issue of the service of salvation down to its most fundamental level those who profess to believe in jesus christ want to have the assurance right they want to have the assurance the confidence the conviction that the god in whom they profess to believe will stay true to what he has said in his word now I said, interestingly, because the vast majority of believers today who struggle with assurance of salvation struggle with it because their starting point in understanding what salvation is and how salvation is accomplished is themselves mm-hmm. and not God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Consequently, they understand salvation through the faulty and erroneous paradigm of their own innate inadequacy, right. realizing fully the unarguable fact that they are sinners and God is holy. In other words, they think salvation begins with and is dependent upon them and on their own ability to meet God's standard of righteousness, when in reality, it is Christ himself who has met that standard for them by faith in his atoning and propitiatory work and dying on a cross 
for the forgiveness of their sins. Wow, you said you said a mouthful there. I, yeah, I, me- I, only, I only pause you just because that that what you just said is massive, and and it and it bears repeating. Because I, I think for the most part, this goes past the mind of the believer. I mean, mm-hmm. as they're questioning their own salvation, as they're questioning what 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 has happened uh, through the finished work of Christ, right, and and being applied to their lives, this is really what's happening in mm-hmm. their mind, though they don't mm-hmm. recognize it. So, I, I, again, I think I think it bears repeating. Yeah, let me just go back and repeat that. See, so I'm talking about folks who struggle with the assurance of salvation and how their starting point and they're trying to understand what salvation is to begin with mm-hmm. is themselves right, as right. opposed to God. So consequently, they understand salvation through the faulty and erroneous paradigm of their own innate inadequacy, right. realizing fully the un- unarguable fact that they are sinners and God is holy. In other words, they think salvation begins with and is dependent upon them and their own ability to meet God's standard of righteousness, when in reality, biblically, scripturally, Mm -hmm. it is Christ himself who has met that standard for them by faith in his atoning and propitiatory work and dying on a cross for the forgiveness of their sins. Yeah. Now, the Puritan John Bunyan, John Bunyan, who many of our listeners are familiar with as the author of the well-known book Pilgrim's Progress, Bunyan talks about his own struggles with doubt about his salvation in his book titled Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. Man, what an awesome title. Mm. Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. In that book, Bunyan says this, quote, I saw my sin most barbarous and a filthy crime and could not but conclude, and that with great shame and astonishment, that I had horribly abused the Holy Son of God. Wherefore, I felt my soul so greatly to love and pity him and my bowels to yearn towards him. For I saw he was still my friend and did reward me good for evil. Yea, the love and affection that then did burn within to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did work at this time such a strong and hot desire of revengement upon myself for the abuse I had done to him that to speak as then I thought, had I had a thousand gallons of blood within my veins, I could freely then have spilt it all at the command and feet of this, my Lord and Savior. But before many weeks were over, I began to despond again, fearing lest, notwithstanding all that I had enjoyed, that yet I might be deceived and destroyed at the last. For this consideration came strong into my mind, that whatever, whatsoever comfort and peace I thought I might have from the word of the promise of life, yet unless there could be found in my refreshment a concurrence and agreement in the scriptures, let me think what I will thereof and hold it never so fast, I should find no such thing at the end, for the scripture cannot be broken. John 10.35 Yet I was not able to believe this, for I could not think that I had faith or that there should be a word for me to act faith on. Therefore, I should still be sticking in the jaws of desperation and went mourning up and down in a sad condition, crying, is his mercy clean gone? Is his mercy clean gone forever? And I thought sometimes, even when I was groaning in these expressions, they did seem to make a question whether it was yes or no, yet I greatly feared it was. There was nothing now that I longed for more than to be put 
out of doubt as to this thing in question, that thing in question being his salvation. And as I was vehemently desiring to know if there was indeed hopes for me, these words came rolling into my mind. Will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promises fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Psalm 77, verses 7 through 9. Bunyan closes with this. Yea, the interrogatory seemed to me to carry in it a sure affirmation, that is, a sure an assurance that indeed he had not cast me off, nor would he cast me off, but would be favorable, that his promise does not fail, and that he had not forgotten to be gracious, nor would in anger shut up his tender mercy. Amen. Unquote. That was John Bunyan from Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. And in that book, in its totality, is essentially a confession of how God brought him to faith. And, and his, he starts with his own sinful life, which was incredibly sinful, and how God showed faith in him. But then this one section, Bunyan talks about how he doubted his salvation and he struggled with assurance at, at, at certain times. Now, when I reflect on those words from Bunyan, from his book, Grace Abounding, which were originally written 354 years ago in the year 1666. And notwithstanding that each of us must individually give an account of ourselves to God, as we noted earlier in Romans 14, 12. And you, you, you may disagree with me on this, on what I'm about to say here, Omaha, but when it comes to the matter of professing believers who, as Bunyan did, struggle with assurance of salvation, I'm of a mind to think that the church, to a certain degree, bear some responsibility in that regard, as many believers who struggle with assurance have not had the gospel, and more specifically, the doctrine of salvation properly explained and taught to them. Mm. Now, in saying that, I'm reminded of the account of the Apostle Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 31, where we read this. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Mm -hmm. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading. Do you understand what you're reading? Yeah, now, yeah. as a pastor and teacher yourself, Omaha, I was wondering if you had any thoughts on this. And again, feel free to disagree with my assertion here that the church bears some responsibility yeah. to some degree with regard to many believers today who struggle with their salvation because they've never had the gospel or, or the doctrine of salvation rightly right. explained to them. Now, I, I I don't disagree with you, and we've often discussed the fact that far, far too many churches are offering their parishioners what really amounts to glorified TED talks, right? Yep. These these TED talk these are these these TED talks are they amount to a, a twenty minute soliloquy on the on the favorite psychological success story of the day, mm -hmm. and uh, other churches unfortunately are offering inch deep theology. Oh, and, and by inch deep, I mean that, they, that they're only deep enough 
to know that you've gotten splashed without ever allowing the opportunity to experience the full ocean of depth of, of, of what's intended to be God's glory. Wow. Now, as a result, as a result, what we what we find is that people people lack the understanding of the magnitude, the magnitude mm-hmm. of what God the Father has done through Christ in saving those He has called. You know, you know my, my favorite section of Scripture for studying the doctrine of salvation is Ephesians chapter one. You know, it, it's one of those it's one of those chapters in, in which in, in the Scripture where, where you can find again the full magnitude of the Trinitarian work of salvation on mm-hmm. full display. Wow! You have what God the Father did in eternity past. You have what Christ the Son did in time by redeeming and ransoming us. And you have that which the Holy Spirit has done in in, in, in sealing the promise of Mm -hmm. of that which we will inherit in the time to come. So you have the full Trinitarian work of salvation Mm -hmm. all the way through Ephesians chapter 1. So to to understand the magnitude of that, again, I I would encourage our listeners to go through. I I can't think of anyone better that I've listened to walk through that than John MacArthur, Mm -hmm. Dr. John MacArthur. As a series, if you go to, to to Grace to You, the app, or or jump on the uh, uh, online, uh, go go find Ephesians and listen to someone exposit verse by verse, word by word, right, and, and walk you through the magnitude of the doctrine of salvation. It would help to gain uh, a clear understanding of what we indeed have inherited as as believers. Man, the second thing that, that I wanted to address was what you said, and I thought it was really, I thought it was really. The awesome that you picked up um, uh, John Bunyan's book, Grace mm-hmm. Abounding to the Chief of Sinners, uh, because any anyone who has kind of an idea about about the very famous book, Pilgrim's Progress, it's, it's, it should be a staple in, in most uh, most evangelical yeah. homes, would be shocked to know, uh, would be mm-hmm. surprised to think mm-hmm. that a man with with, with John Bunyan's depth of understanding of of doctrines of grace and all that he walks through uh, in the book Pilgrim's Progress would would, would struggle with this particular issue. Mm-hmm. I, I think it should be one of those things that should also provide provide some some hope, uh, perhaps some comfort to know that yeah, you're not the only one. You're not you're you're not the sole mm-hmm. individual oh. out there who wrestles mm-hmm. with this particular issue, but that it, great thinkers, great uh, writers, great theologians of old have wrestled with this issue mm-hmm. as well and have, have been able to, to put themselves into the pages of Scripture to find the benefit, the true benefit that the Word of God is designed to provide uh, to his believer. Excellent point, brother. I really appreciate what you just said there, Omaha. You know, and as, as you and I continue to dissect this matter of assurance of salvation, I think it's important that we take some time to look at what salvation actually is, biblically speaking, okay? And as we do that, I'd like to begin by quoting Charles Haddon Spurgeon from his sermon titled, Right Hand Sins, Right Hand Sins, which he delivered at the Metropolitan Tabernacle on June 7, 1868. In that sermon, Spurgeon defined salvation as follows, quote, Salvation is, in short, deliverance from sin, deliverance from the guilt of it, from the punishment of it, from the power of it, unquote. Now, let's consider Spurgeon's very succinct, but more importantly, very biblical definition of salvation against the words of the Apostle Paul that are found in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. 
by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. That was Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. Now, the reason I wanted us to look at that passage in Ephesians 2, 4 through 9 is because I think it represents what I believe to be a key stumbling block that many professing believers encounter with regard to their having or not assurance of salvation, meaning they just find it difficult to believe and trust that salvation is all of God and that there is no part for them to play in contributing to their salvation. That's good. They, they agree with God's word that they are sinners in need of salvation. That's Romans 3.23. And yet something deep inside of them wants still to be able to offer to God something of their own works, something of their own righteousness to augment God's free gift so as to appease and satiate their own consciences, consciences that instinctively want to add an extra layer of works, call it legalism, to God's gracious, volitional, and monergistic work in their hearts. You know, to that end, his, in his book, The Assurance of Our Salvation, the great Welsh theologian D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, quote, I have certainly observed during many years in the Christian ministry and as a pastor that, generally speaking, most of the problems and difficulties which people have are due to the fact that they have not taken a firm hold of this great doctrine of salvation. As we have seen, it is subjectivity that accounts for our troubles because, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, we only look to ourselves, unquote. That's huge. We only look to ourselves. Lloyd-Jones says most of the problems people have with having confidence that they're saved is rooted in the fact that they only look to themselves. But the truth is there is nothing that you or I can give to God, and that, ironically, is what some professing believers simply cannot comprehend. That's the stumbling block I was referring to earlier, Omaha, or at least one of them anyway, that contributes, I believe, to why many believers find it difficult to walk in the settled conviction and confidence that their salvation is assured. And it is assured on the basis of the faithful nature of the, and character of God, not on their fallen, flawed, and unfaithful character. But theologians Joel R. Beakey and Paul M. Smalley speak to that, and very encouragingly, I think, in their systematic theology titled Reformed Systematic Theology, Revelation and God. In that book, in Reformed Systematic Theology, Beakey and Smalley write this, quote, For some people, the doctrine of reprobation is sadly distorted into the occasion of doubt and inward torment. As Wilhelmus Brakel noted, they may say, I feel within my heart that I am not one of the elect, but rather a reprobate, and that therefore I shall never be converted, unquote. Brakel wisely responded, quote, This is an untruth and nothing but imagination. No man can know whether he is a reprobate because God has not revealed this in his word, unquote. Therefore, Brakel counseled, quote, Do battle against all those reflections and thoughts, unquote. Instead, he said, 
Let the revealed will of God be your guide. In the gospel, God offers his son, Jesus Christ, inviting all who are desirous to come to him to do so. He promises that all who believe in the son will have eternal life while promising at the same time that none will be cast out who come to him, unquote. Brakel said, Brakel, whom Beaky and Smalley quote, Wilhelmus Brakel said, do battle against all those reflections and thoughts. He's saying do battle against those doubts, Mm -hmm. against those feelings of insecurity. Mm -hmm. Do battle against all those thoughts. Listen, going back to Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 9, the passage I referred to earlier, we see here what I like to refer to as the who, what, why, and how of salvation. So when you Mm -hmm. go back and you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 9, the who is God. The what is that God made us alive together with Christ. The why? So that he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And the how is by grace through faith. Listen, salvation is God's idea. It is all of God. It is all by God. And it is all for God. That means that your salvation is grounded in who God is, not who you are. Mm -hmm. And God, who cannot lie, will stay true to himself and to his word, even when we are not true to him. Now, listen to these verses about the character of God, which I pray will provide some degree of encouragement to our listeners who are struggling with this. Yeah. These following verses, we're looking at God here in his character. In Numbers 23, verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent, that is, that he should change his mind. Has he said and will not do it? Or has he spoken and he, will he not make it good? Psalm 18, verse 30, as for God, his way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. First John chapter one, verse five. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine. The Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So believer, Doubting believer, do not doubt. You serve a God whose character is is such innately that he will stay true to himself even when we are untrue to him. Listen to these words from Horatius Bonner. From his book, this is Horatius Bonner, from his book, The Everlasting Righteousness, which I will again quote later on in this episode. But Bonner writes this in his book, The Everlasting Righteousness, quote, Faith is the acknowledgement of the entire absence of all goodness in us and the recognition of the cross as the substitute for all the want on our part. Faith saves because it owns the complete salvation of another and not because it contributes anything to that salvation. That's good. There is no dividing or sharing the work between our own belief and him in whom we believe. The whole work is his, not ours, from first to last. I want to repeat that sentence. Bernard says, the whole work of salvation is his, that is Christ, not ours, from first to last. 
Faith does not believe in itself, but in the Son of God. Like the beggar, it receives everything, but gives nothing. It consents to be a debtor forever to the free love of God. Its resting place is the foundation laid in Zion. It rejoices in another, not in itself. Its song is not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his mercy, he has saved us. Unquote. That was Horatius Bonar from the everlasting righteousness. Now, in his sermon titled, Let a Man Examine Himself, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, whom I quoted earlier, said this, quote, My dear friend, the first thing that you and I have got to understand about this kingdom of God is this. It is primarily not a question of what we do, but of what he does, unquote. Thoughts, Omaha? A lot of thoughts in this section. I love what you did with... Uh, Ephesians 2, 4 through 9. And again, I, I would encourage our listeners to grab your Bible, open it up, and and look at what uh, what we walk through with that. When, when Daryl said the who is God, the what is that God made us alive together with Christ. The why is so that he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And the how is by grace through faith. Go back it's pause the pause the 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 recording now right pause it go back grab your bible uh, rewind about maybe a minute and a half two minutes maybe three and listen to that part again again if you're struggling with this particular issue these are important things to note on on the journey because they're going to help you at the midpoint we want to just take a minute to remind you about a resource that we offered at the very top of the podcast. And this is the book by Joel Webin of Right Response Ministries. He's a dear friend of ours. We love his work. We love their ministry. Uh, it's the book called Am I Truly Saved? Subtitled A Study Through First John. Whether you're a pastor, a small group leader, or someone just trying to examine a recent profession of faith, this book will be a trusted resource for decades to come. Forwarded by Costi Hinn and Justin Peters and others with recommendations, this book is going to be an essential commentary on First John. Written in a devotional style, you're going to find it incredibly helpful as you examine your life as a believer in Christ. Go to our website, uh, download it. Uh, you can get it in digital form or in book form. Go to our website, justthinking.me forward slash truly saved. Justthinking.me forward slash truly saved to get your copy today. There was a great deal that you said uh, in that section as well. I, I loved what you did when you talked about the character of God, that he's not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent, uh, that his ways are blameless, that the message that we heard from him uh, that, that, that's announced to us that God is light in him. There's no darkness. Those are things that speak to the, the, the attribute of God's of God's faithfulness, of God's trustworthiness. And we can mm-hmm. we can trust his word. These are things that are important as we wrestle with these issues. It is important to note the character of God so that when we mm-hmm. hear the word of God on these issues, we can stand on his word because of his character. Mm-hmm. I also love what you said when you talked about salvation is God's idea. You said that that it is all God, it is all by God, and it is all for God. Now, we, we've, we've been in Ephesians, and so Ephesians 2 in particular. I want us to go back just a, just a, a chapter to Ephesians chapter 1. And really kind of amplify the the fact that salvation is God's idea. We have in in Ephesians chapter one, verses three through five, it says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. 
even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, Mm -hmm. that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. Anytime I'm I'm walking folks through this section to teach this particular point, I, I let them know that before God the Father said, let there be light, he had a plan to redeem a people. Man, and he thought of you in particular. He had your name in his mind at the point that he chose you in him before the foundation of the world. So before he wow. puts the planets into orbit, before he says, let there be anything, he chose you in him before the foundation of the world. Now that he has you in him, redeemed you, set a plan for his son to die for you. He says, OK, let there be light. Wow. And there was light. I I love what Paul says in Romans about the gospel. Paul says in Romans chapter one, verse one, that he is a slave of Christ Jesus, Mm -hmm. called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised. God promised this gospel beforehand through his Mm. prophets in the Holy Scripture. So now here's what we have. We have before the very foundation of the world, God, before he said, let there be light, he had a plan for you. And the plan was so important that before before, before we even get to the point where Jesus comes to ransom us, this plan is put into motion beforehand and told to us through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. So I want to amplify what you said when you said that salvation is all of God, that it is all by God, and that it is all for mm-hmm. God. It is that mm-hmm. understanding, our understanding of the doctrine of salvation, which includes the doctrine of election, that we can find peace in the fact that salvation is a monergistic work of God in eternity yeah. past. It has nothing to do with our works or what we have to offer God. The only thing we add, we add nothing. It's it's been said, we add nothing to our salvation except the sin which made it necessary for Christ to die on a cross. Man, you know, Omaha, for a second there, I thought you were were preaching, trying to land a job somewhere, some church. (laughs) That that right there, that that was a little sermonette, bro. That'll preach. That'll That'll preach, preach, man. Man, thank you so much for that, bro. I was blessed by that personally myself. You know, uh, Pastor John MacArthur has an excellent four-part series on the topic of eternal security. In fact, the series is entitled Eternal Security. And in the sermon titled The Security of Salvation, Part 1, John MacArthur brings up an excellent point that every believer who struggles with assurance should stop and consider. In that sermon, The Security of Salvation, Part 1, John MacArthur said this, quote, One of the things that Satan does in attacking the Christian is to attack him at the point of the assurance of salvation. Mm. Satan likes to make us doubt our redemption. That's why when you put on the armor in Ephesians 6, it says put on the helmet of salvation. And Paul writing to the Thessalonians further defined that by calling it the helmet of the hope of salvation. Why? Because Satan wants to deal devastating blows to your head to your mind in the area of doubt, to doubt that you're really saved, to doubt that you're really redeemed, to doubt that God is really holding you in the palm of his hand forever, to doubt that you really belong to God. 
He wants you to believe that somehow, some way, you forfeited your redemption, and so he blasts away at you, making you feel insecure, intimidating you. And so you must have on the helmet of the hope or the confidence that you're really redeemed, unquote. That was powerful right there, bro. Listen to what Jesus himself says in John chapter 5, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. That was John 5, 24. In John 6, verses 37 through 40, Jesus says this, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down Mm -hmm. from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this Mm -hmm. is the will of God, my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. That was John 6, verses 37 through 40. Now, the late pastor and author, Aiden Wilson Tozer, known to most Christians as A.W. Tozer, in his Mm -hmm. book, The Attributes of God, A.W. Tozer's book, The Attributes of God, Tozer said this, quote, Faithfulness is that in God which guarantees that he will never cease to be or act inconsistent with himself. You can put that down as an axiom. It is good for you now and good for you when you're dying. It will be good to remember as you rise from the dead and good for all the eons and millenniums to come. God will never cease to be what he is and who he is. Everything God says or does must be in accordance with his faithfulness. He will always be true to himself, to his works, and to his creation, unquote. That was A.W. Tozer from his book, The Attributes of God. Now, Jesus said in John 6, 40, that everyone who beholds the Son, and believes in him, will have eternal life. Now, that word beholds is the Greek verb theoreo, theoreo. That's spelled T-H-E-O-R-E-O. Theoreo, which translated means to perceive, to look at, to be a spectator, to view. Now, I point this out because there are a lot of spectators in the world today when it comes to Jesus Christ and who he is. We got a lot of onlookers out there who have a mental awareness of who Jesus is, for example, as a historical figure, but who, as Jesus himself said in the passage we just read, do not believe in him or in God the Father who sent him into the world. Now, it is with that thought in mind that I appreciate so much what Article 10 of the Belgic Confession of Faith says about who Jesus is. Listen to what Article 10 of the Belgic Confession of Faith says about Jesus. We believe that Jesus Christ, according to his divine nature, is the only Son of God, eternally begotten, not made or created, for then he would be a creature. He is one in essence with the Father, co-eternal, the exact image of the person of the Father and the reflection of God's glory. 
being like the Father in all things. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, not only from the time he assumed our nature, but from all eternity, as the following testimonies teach us when they are taken together. Moses says that God created the world, and John says that all things were created through the Word, which he calls God. The Apostle says that God created the world through the Son. He also says that God created all things through Jesus Christ. And so it must follow that the one who is called God, the Word, the Son, and Jesus Christ already existed before creating all things. Therefore, the prophet Micah says that Christ's origin is, quote, from ancient days, unquote. And the apostle says that the Son, quote, has neither beginning of days nor end of life, unquote. So then he is the true eternal God, the Almighty, whom we invoke, worship, and serve. That was from Article 10 of the Belgic Confession of Faith on the Deity of Jesus Christ. Now, those words from the Belgic Confession of Faith about the Deity of Jesus combined with my earlier comments regarding those who do not believe in him and who are merely spectators and onlookers in terms of who Jesus truly is brings to mind one of the most sobering verses in the entire Bible. That will be Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, where Jesus declares unambiguously that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Those are the words of Jesus in Matthew seven twenty-one. Jesus said, he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter the kingdom. But that begs the question, what is Jesus talking about when he says the will of my Father? What is that will? Well, the answer is found in John 6, 29. John chapter 6, verse 29, where Jesus says, this is the work or the will of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Thoughts, Omaha? This is really good. I mean, like each of these, they, they, they add that each as we walk through these, these should really add, add peace of mind uh, to our hearts and our souls, which, which reminds me, I'm kind of reminiscent with regard to uh, the, the issue of, of peace uh, of Romans chapter five, verses one through five. And in that section of scripture, uh, it gives us actually five benefits that the beneficiary of justification receives by grace through faith. Now, I, I won't go through all five. But I'll at least mention the first one here, and it's found in Romans chapter 5, uh, verse 1, and it, and it is peace with God. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this this is not a subjective peace. This is not like a good feeling that we Great have point. on the inside of our hearts. Mm-hmm. This is an objective peace. This mm-hmm. peace speaks to status, which is permanent. This, this actually means that the war between us and God, the enmity between man and God is over. Uh, that is a peace that, 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 is, that has nothing to do with something that we could manufacture or make happen. This is a peace that took place because the propitiatory work of Christ, the wrath-satisfying work of Christ— Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 25 say, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Hmm. This happens 
again, the rest of the scripture reads, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. None of this has anything to do with you. Mm-hmm. All of it has everything to do with what you brought to the table, which was the sin that made you guilty to begin with. Your justification mm-hmm. is a gift. Your redemption is a gift through Christ. The, the propitiatory work that was required as a, as, a, as a substitute, as a wrath-absorbing sacrifice on your behalf is the work of Christ. His blood is, is the work of Christ. And you receive all of that by faith. There was, there was so much work, man, that you put in that last section. Rather than adding a bunch of lengthy quotes, I thought to, thought to add to, uh, to our, our conversation a story that, that I have of, of a young man that I've counseled who really, really struggles from time to time with, with this issue of the assurance of salvation. I think, again, based upon the, the, the response to the tweet that you had, uh, the feedback that we've got in preparation to this particular episode, mm-hmm. I, I'm beginning to recognize more and more that this is a real issue with believers. And so it's for that reason, I, I, I wanted to add this story. I'll leave, definitely leave out the young man's name. However, I, I know that he, that he, like many others, have struggled with whether or not uh, he is indeed saved. And, and I've learned that this is a question that, that represents itself, represents itself in a variety of different ways. And here, here's what I mean. I think it ends with asking the question about one's own salvation, but it often does not end there. Mm-hmm. In addition, the mind goes to asking other questions like, is the Bible true or is God really real mm-hmm. or, or if there's anything we can believe or claim to believe that is true? Mm-hmm. What, what's happening is what you've discussed is what you've discussed earlier in this section is that our mind is no longer on the fact that Jesus did this work on our behalf. Mm-hmm. Rather, we begin to ask, what am I contributing or what right. can I contribute to my own salvation? And, and, and that, that question in and of itself, when you recognize there's nothing you could do, it then leads to other questions. And the mind becomes a, a, a battleground for, for deceiving one's own self, where mm-hmm. we begin to question God and his word, God and his character, and other mm-hmm. aspects of, of saving faith. None of us would claim that we are ever working for our own salvation. Right. We wouldn't. That's not a claim we would make. Mm-hmm. We know better than to do that, to, to do that kind of thing, at least at least directly. We wouldn't directly ask, you know, how, how do I work for my salvation? However, that is exactly what we are doing when in our mind, our yeah. salvation is only as valid as the previous act of sin that we've committed. And, and we've whoa, got to whoa, recognize. Whoa, 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 whoa. I need you to yes, back sir. up, bro. Please back up and repeat that last sentence again, please. I, I said none of none of us would claim that we're working for our salvation. We actually know better than to do that kind of thing directly. We wouldn't directly say, "Hey, you know what? I'm working for my salvation." We know better than 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 to do that. However, that is exactly what we are doing when, in our mind, our salvation is only as valid as the previous act of sin which we've committed. <laughs> Wow. Verse, that is so awesome, though. It's so awesome because it's so true. It's so true, man. You nailed it. You nailed it. Anything else to finish that up? That's it, man. All right, bro. Thank you, man. That was awesome, bro. You know, the 16th century English Puritan Henry Smith said this. Smith said, quote, By this you shall know whether you have given your heart to him, that is to God, or not. If the heart be gone, all else will follow. 
As the sun rises first and then the beasts arise from their dens, the fowls from their nests and men from their beds. So when the heart sets forward to God, all the members will follow after it. The tongue will praise him. The foot will follow him. The ear will attend him. The eye will watch him. The hand will serve him. Nothing will stay after the heart, but that everything else goes with it, unquote. That was Henry Smith, 16th century English Puritan. You know, in commenting on Acts chapter 2, verse 21, John Calvin said this. He says, since no man is excluded from calling upon God, the gate of salvation is open to all. There is nothing else to hinder us from entering but our own unbelief, unquote. That was John Calvin on Acts 2.21. And in his daily devotional for June 28th from his devotional titled Morning and Evening, which happens to be the day that we're recording this episode, Omaha. Wow. In, in his devotional for June 28th, Charles Spurgeon said this, quote, Remember, therefore, it is not thy hold of Christ that saves thee. It is Christ. It is not thy joy in Christ that saves thee. It is Christ. It is not even faith in Christ, though that be the instrument. It is Christ's blood and merits. Therefore, look not so much to thy hand with which thou art grasping Christ as to Christ. Look not to thy hope, but to Jesus, the source of thy hope. Look not to thy faith, but to Jesus, the author and finisher of thy faith. Unquote. That is so so good, man. That is so that's something that someone struggling should meditate on. That is so Amen, bro. Amen. So good. That Again, is so me, good. matter of fact, let me go ahead and repeat that. To that point, bro, you, you made a great point just now, Omar. That's Someone's so struggling good. with this. They can grasp on to this. Again, if you don't have Charles Spurgeon's devotional morning and evening, please get it. Okay. This what I'm about to quote again is from the devotional of June 28th, quote, Spurgeon said, remember, therefore, it is not thy hold of Christ that saves thee. It is Christ. It is not thy joy in Christ that saves thee. It is Christ. It is not even faith in Christ, though that be the instrument. It is Christ's blood and merits. Therefore, look not so much to thy hand, which which thou art grasping Christ, as to Christ. Look not to thy hope but to Jesus, the source of thy hope. Look not to thy faith, but to Jesus, the author and finisher of thy faith. Man, listen, I, I don't mean to interrupt you again. Let me Do say your thing, something. bro. Let me tell you something, man. That, that you, it, you could stop right there and just worship God. I know, right? I mean, I that is so, yep. so good. I mean, you get you some hymns, you could have church all by yourself. I know, man. That is I know. so so good. You're right. You know, G- Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 47, just building on what we just reread from Spurgeon. Jesus said in John 6, 47, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. In 1 John 2, 25, the apostle John declares, this is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. 1 John 5, 1 reads, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. 1 John 5, 12 says, he who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son does not have the life. 
In the very next verse, 1 John 5, 13, listen to this powerful word of assurance. John says this, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Listen, for the believer in Jesus Christ, eternal life is a reality right now, today, not out there somewhere. Many progressive believers are under the mistaken impression that eternal life by definition refers to a period of time that commences only after they die. But no, if you're in Christ, that is, if you have confessed him in accordance with Romans 10, 9, mm -hmm. you have eternal life right now, today, in real time, even as you listen to me. That's good. That is God's promise to those who believe in him. And as we just read, our assurance is rooted in God's character, not ours. Mm. I want to quote again from the, the 19th century Scottish clergyman Horatius Bernard. Bernard said again in his book, The Everlasting Righteousness, I love this subtitle, How Shall a Man Be Just Before God? <laughs> the Everlasting Righteousness, How Shall a Man Be Just Before God? Horatius Bernard said this, quote, For we are not saved by believing in our own salvation, nor by believing anything whatsoever about ourselves. We are saved by what we believe about the Son of God and His righteousness. Mm -hmm. The gospel believed saves, not the believing in our own faith, unquote. I want to repeat that, Omaha, if you'll, if you'll allow good. me another second That's to repeat good. that. Come on, man. Take your time. This is Horatius Bernard from his book, The, the Everlasting Righteousness, How Shall a Man Be Just be Before God? Quote, for we are not saved by believing in our own salvation nor by believing anything whatsoever about ourselves. We are saved by what we believe about the Son of God and His righteousness. The gospel believed saves, not the believing in our own faith, unquote. God, now, having said that, I want to temper that truth from Bonar. I want to temper that truth from Bonar with these words from Arthur Walkington Pink better known to our listeners as A.W. Pink, who said this, quote, It is only in proportion as the Christian manifests the fruit of a genuine conversion that he is entitled to regard himself as being, I'm sorry, that he is entitled to regard himself and be regarded by others as one of the called and elect of God. Now, I want to repeat that sentence because Pink is making a huge point here, Okay. It is only in proportion as the Christian manifests the fruit of a genuine conversion that he is entitled to regard himself and be regarded by others as one of the called and elect of God. It is just in proportion as we add to our faith the other Christian graces that we have solid ground on which to rest in the assurance that we belong to the family of Christ. It is not those who are governed by self-will, but, quote, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons of God, unquote. Pink is quoting from Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Now, I want to augment those words from A.W. Pink with the following comments from John MacArthur from his book, The Gospel According to Jesus, subtitled, What is Authentic Faith? Okay, this is John MacArthur from the gospel according to Jesus, what is authentic faith? MacArthur says the following in the chapter title, A Look at the Issues. Quote, MacArthur says this, quote, Contemporary Christians have been conditioned 
to believe that because they recited a prayer, signed on a dotted line, walked an aisle, or had some other experience, they are saved and should never question their salvation. Scripture encourages us to examine ourselves to determine if we are in the faith, that's 2 Corinthians 13, 5. It is right to examine our lives and evaluate the fruit we bear, for each tree is known by its fruit, that's Luke 6, 44. The Bible clearly teaches that the evidence of God's work in a life is the inevitable fruit of transformed behavior, 1 John 3, 10. MacArthur continues, faith that does not result in righteous living is dead and cannot save. That's James 2, verses 14 through 17. Professing Christians utterly lacking in the fruit of true righteousness will find no biblical basis for assurance of salvation. That's 1 John 2, 4. Real salvation is not only justification. It cannot be isolated from regeneration sanctification, and ultimately glorification. Salvation, MacArthur continues, is the work of God through which we are conformed to the image of his Son. That's Romans 8.29, cross-reference with Romans 13.11. MacArthur closes with this, Genuine assurance comes from seeing the Holy Spirit's transforming work in one's life, not from clinging to the memory of of some experience, unquote. It was John MacArthur again from his book, The Gospel According to Jesus. Now, in his book, Preaching and Preachers, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones has some sobering words for the men out there whom God has called to preach his gospel, okay? Martin Lloyd-Jones says this in Preaching and Preachers, quote, the main danger in, confront- the main danger in confronting the pulpit is to assume that all who claim to be Christians and who think they are Christians and who are members of the church are therefore of necessity Christians. This to me is the most fatal blunder of all and certainly the commonest. It is assumed that because people are members of the church that they are Christian. This is dangerous and wrong for this reason, that if you assume that, You will tend, therefore, in all your services to preach in a manner suited to Christian believers. Your messages will always be instructional, and the evangelistic element and note will be neglected, perhaps entirely, unquote. Mm -hmm. Now, those quotes from Pink, MacArthur, and Lloyd-Jones were necessary and they were necessary to interject into the conversation we're having here, Omaha, because although our primary focus in this episode has been on professing believers in Christ, mm-hmm. we would be derelict in our biblical responsibility if we did not make an appeal to those who do not believe. Yeah, yeah. Thoughts on that, bro? Two two things that you stated. I want to amplify in this section. We we, we quoted it twice. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna revisit the the quote again because I thought it was so profound. It says, "Remember therefore that it is not thy hold of Christ that saves thee. It is Christ. It is not thy joy in Christ that saves thee. It is Christ. It is not even faith in Christ. Man, that's so powerful. Though th- though that be the instrument, it is Christ's blood and merits. Therefore, look not so much to thy hand." with which thou art grasping Christ, as to Christ. Look not to thy hope, but to Jesus, the source of thy hope. 
look not to faith, but to Jesus, the author and finisher of the faith. This is so powerful, I think, for a number of reasons. We we, we reiterated it earlier, and I, I made commentary about it later, just in case we missed covering it, yeah. which we didn't, which we did not. Um, it, it, it's so powerful because it is the believer in Christ often who questions his or her salvation uh, on the basis of their own works. When, and we've, we've stated that earlier. When they're looking at their own lives, their own works, they have a tendency to ask questions about the faith that they hold in Christ. They need to be reminded of the truth that's in the, in the previous statement. What God has done in eternity, eternity past, uh, Christ secured in time and has been sealed by the Spirit. Then justification is indeed a completed work. Uh, at the same time, I thought it was great that you quoted Martin Lloyd-Jones, and, and, and I think that's incredibly important as well. Mm-hmm. It, it, Lloyd-Jones said, quote, the main danger in confronting the pulpit is to assume that all who claim to be Christian and who think they are Christians and who are members of the church are therefore of necessity Christians. This, to me, is the most fatal blunder of all, and certainly the commonest. It is assumed that because people are members of a church that they are Christian, end quote. And this quote is important for all of those who are unbelievers believing themselves to be believers, not on the basis of the finished work of Christ, but again, on the basis of works, they're trusting in, they're trusting in their works. And, and uh, this, this is a, this is the fatal flaw. Those who do not exhibit the fruit of repentance or, or a life that is that, that Paul says that is worthy of the call of the gospel. They often assumed, they often assume rather that they're saved and therefore there is no true examination that they that they involve themselves in of their own lives. The believer has a responsibility to examine his life. We have a responsibility mm-hmm. to examine his life. But there's a mm-hmm. balance between the over-examination of oneself to see if you are indeed of the faith and, and the opposite, which is believing that a carnal lifestyle is satis- and, and a satisfying of the flesh is pleasing to God. Mm-hmm. So, Amen, so bo- both, both are extremes and both are relying on works. Do you see, do you see that's happening? Yep. The, yep, per- the exactly. person, the person, the person who's over examining their life uh, is examining their life on the basis of works, hoping for, for hoping that their works would be sufficient to, uh, to obtain righteousness. And they are not. Mm-hmm. And the person who is living a carnal lifestyle and, and living a life that's satisfying the flesh is still believing in works and their works are simply, I showed up to church. I, oh, I, 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 I've claimed the name of Jesus. Yep. I, I, I've professed Christ at some point in my life and they're believing that that work is sufficient to say, mm-hmm. but neither are trusting in right. the finished work of Christ apo- appropriately. And I think, I think the section that you walk through, helps to bring that balance. So I, I say I say that to say this, that, that a true believer is going to at some point struggle with this issue. We all in some way, we're going to ask ourselves the question, am I saved? And this this may be after reflecting on a, a pattern of sin in our own lives. This yeah. may be the result of a lack of a faithful expression of repentance. But whatever the catalyst, we must remember that many of the things that we've talked about, you and I have talked about during, during our time together, that salvation is of the Lord. It is mm-hmm. by Amen. the Lord and it is for mm-hmm. the Lord. And furthermore, Amen. scripture scripture is clear that all who call upon the name of the Lord will indeed be saved. Amen, bro. Amen, Omaha. You know, in his sermon titled, Why Christians Lack Assurance, John MacArthur said this, quote, most people who lack assurance, and you kind of touched on this just a second ago, Omaha, MacArthur said most people who lack assurance are Christians. Mm-hmm. It's very rare to meet a non-Christian struggling with a lack of assurance. 
when I find somebody struggling with the assurance of salvation, it's inevitably a believer, unquote. Mm-hmm. That's MacArthur from his sermon, Why Christians Lack Assurance. Now, in that same sermon, John MacArthur cites the following as reasons why some believers in Jesus Christ doubt their assurance. Now, I'm going to give you six reasons, and I'm not going to expand on these because we're going to have this sermon from John MacArthur, Why Christians Lack Assurance, that's going to be linked in the episode notes. So if you've subscribed to our podcast, you're listening to this on whatever podcatcher that you happen to uh, uh, prefer, please scroll down to the episode notes because we've got almost 20 resources linked in this one episode that have to do in one way or another with the topic that we're talking about today on assurance of salvation. So again, in his sermon, Why Christians Lack Assurance, John MacArthur gives these six reasons as why some believers in Jesus Christ doubt their assurance. Number one, because of being under strong preaching of God's holy standard, and that strong preaching brings strong conviction of sin. Mm-hmm. So that's reason number one, because of being under strong preaching of God's holy standard. Reason number two, because they can't accept forgiveness. They're tyrannized by their emotions and feelings that they're, quote-unquote, too bad to be saved. So that's reason number two. They just can't accept the forgiveness that is being offered to them in Christ. Number three, because they do not comprehend the gospel and the plan of salvation. MacArthur said bad theology contributes to a lack of assurance. You and I talked about this towards the top of the episode, Omaha, where I mentioned that I think the church, is more specifically the pulpits of our churches, are partly to blame for uh, to, to a certain degree to to this uh, issue that we're talking about today and the fact that some believers lack assurance of salvation because they really haven't had the gospel rightly taught to them. Mm-hmm. They haven't got, had the gospel taught to them biblically. They haven't had the gospel exposited to them. And then underneath that, it, they, they haven't had the doctrine of salvation explained rightly to them. Okay, so number three, because they do not comprehend the gospel and the plan of salvation. Reason number four from John MacArthur is because they can't recall the exact time of salvation. Now, this is, is 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 one of my pet peeves because this is especially the case within evangelicalism within America and within a certain denomination who, who that I won't mention. But th- there's this thing about you have to you have to remember you have to be able to remember the exact moment you you came to faith, the exact moment you believed, and that if you can't recall that, then boom. Your 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 uh, your confidence that you're saved just totally dips. It right. totally drops. So this is reason number four that MacArthur is saying some uh, believers doubt their salvation or doubt assurance is because they can't recall the exact time of salvation. Mm-hmm. Reason number five is because of the remaining power of their unredeemed flesh. Man, mm-hmm. because of wow. the remaining power of their unredeemed flesh. And lastly, number six because they don't see the hand of God in their trials. Wow. Man, because they don't see the hand of God in their trials. Well, I must not belong. I must not belong to God. I must not be saved or else God wouldn't be allowing this to happen Mm -hmm. in my life. He wouldn't be allowing this. But then that reminds me, right? Omaha, my favorite Bible verse, Ecclesiastes 7, 14. You know I got to go there. Yeah, you got to go there. You know I got to go there. (laughs) Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 14. Write this down, listener. 
Ecclesiastes 7.14, in the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, consider, remember that God has created the one as well as the other. Ecclesiastes 7.14, in the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, remember that the Lord has created the one as well as the other. Now, MacArthur also says in that same sermon, why Christians lack assurance. This, he says this, quote, your emotions may make you feel guilty, but God declares that you are not guilty. Legalists will say that God justifies the godly. Scripture says that God justifies the ungodly. Emotion, listen to this, please, listener. If you're hearing me, please pay attention to this. Emotion, MacArthur says, is no safe storehouse for your assurance. It's a really bad place to store your assurance. Your assurance cannot be based upon an emotional experience. It has to be built on a true understanding of the saving work of Jesus Christ. This is still MacArthur speaking, and I would venture to say that most people hold on to some kind of experience as the evidence of their salvation rather than a true and deep understanding of the doctrine of justification, unquote. That was John MacArthur from, again, his sermons, sermon rather, Why Christians Lack Assurance. Now, MacArthur said in the quote that I just read, your emotions may make you feel guilty, but God declares you are not. Now, that mm-hmm. statement by MacArthur brings us to Romans chapter 4, and I want to park at Romans 4 for a few moments because mm-hmm. in Romans 4, the Apostle Paul introduces us to a doctrine that is critical. It is vitally important for all believers to understand, particularly with regard to our having, having assurance of salvation. Now, I'm going to read Romans chapter 4, verse 5, and then in that same chapter, verses 16 through 25. Romans 4, verse 5, and then Romans 4, verses 16 through 25. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. That was verse 5, verse 16. For this reason, it is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace, and we know that from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Mm -hmm. so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, a father of many nations have I made of you, in the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Verse 18, in hope against hope, he believed, that is Abraham, so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken. So shall your descendants be. Verse 19, without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body as now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. We know that from Philippians 1, 6. 
verse 22 of Romans 4. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written mm. that it was credited to him, but mm -hmm. for our sake also, mm -hmm. to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him, yes. who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Now, in the verses I just read, Romans 4, 5, and then Romans 16, Romans 4, verses 16 to 25, the word credited appears four times, okay? Mm -hmm. It appears four times. The word credited is an accounting firm, a uh, term, rather. The word credited is an accounting term. In the Greek, it is the word logizomai. L-O-G-I-Z-O-M-A-I, logizomai, which translated means to count, to reckon, or to impute. To count, to reckon, or to impute. That's the word credited, the word logizomai. Now, Omaha, for the past several weeks, if not months, you've been conducting an in-depth study of the Book of Romans via Facebook Live for the primary benefit of the members of your local church there in Omaha, Nebraska. So I was wondering if you wouldn't mind giving our listeners an explanation of the doctrine of imputation as mm -hmm. the Apostle Paul is explaining it here in Romans 4. And this is really this is really an awesome section of Scripture. In Romans 4, Paul Paul's explaining, he begins with the doctrine of justification by faith and by explaining that it's not a new idea. So at the very opening of the chapter, he starts with Abraham, by example, to say that justification by faith was a part of God's salvific plan from the very beginning. Uh, and it was Abraham who had faith and, and it was credited, accredited to him or accounted to him, the word logizomai, uh, to him as righteousness, imputed to him as righteousness. In fact, the, the, the word accounted, credited or, or uh, accounted, counted or credited, depending upon your translation, throughout the entirety of the chapter actually actually appears nine times. Now, yeah. Paul, is do, Paul is doing this to amplify the fact that this is not your doing, that, that, mm -hmm. that, that what, what, what is happening, the righteousness that's being granted is not your doing. This is God's work, and, and, it, and, it's, and it's God's work given to you by grace through faith. And in the instance of the believer, it's by faith in Jesus Christ. By, by the time you get to five, Paul begins explaining in the greatest of detail how and why this, this, Im, this imputation took place and why it was necessary to begin with. Now, the, the doctrine of imputation is threefold. One, it's a negative imputation of Adam's sin to all of us. And we see that in Romans 5, 12. Right. And, and now I'll, I'll walk through that in just a moment. But there's there's two aspects of it that are that are positive imputations, the positive imputation of the sins of mankind uh, to Christ. So you have the negative imputation of Adam's sin to all of mankind through one man. Death comes or sin comes since and sin enters the world and death happens to all men through that one sin. And then by the time you get to, uh, again, the positive imputation that imputation of the sins of mankind to Christ, you'll find that in 2 Corinthians 5.21, where it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We see that in Romans 5.18 as well. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. And then finally, the positive imputation, which is most important, because had, had, had it simply been the negative imputation of Adam's sin to all of us and the, and the imputation of our sin to Christ, we would be at a zero. But, but fortunately, there was, there was another aspect of the imputation that was important, and that was the positive imputation of Christ's righteousness to all of those who are in Christ. And that, that's found in Romans 5, 19, for as by one man's ob- disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So we then receive the righteousness of Christ imputed to all of us. And this is an important doctrine for us to understand. Sadly and unfortunately, m- many Christians actually hold the idea, unbeknownst to themselves, of the, the Catholic idea, at least in practice, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the idea that we have infused righteousness. Yeah. And there's, there's a big difference between infused righteousness that comes and goes and that righteousness which is imputed, Christ's righteousness imputed to us as believers. And this is why, they, why Catholics can never really know when they die, right. if they've indeed inherited eternal life. Great this point. infused righteousness is insufficient to maintain one's salvation. Again, this speaks to the importance, and, and Daryl is, is, is underlining it here in this section that he's read in, in chapter 4. It begins, the explanation of it begins in earnest in chapter 4 and gets, and gets defined very specifically in chapter 5. But we need to have a biblical understanding of the doctrine of salvation. One aspect of that is, is the doctrine of of imputation. I'm, I'm so glad to have an opportunity to talk about that. Yeah. Thanks for doing that. Omaha. That was some real work that you put in there. And it's, it's huge that our listeners understand that, you know, Dr. Michael Horton in his book, Pilgrim theology, core doctrines for Christian disciples says this just to sort of dovetail on what you just said, Omaha quote, Dr. Michael Horton says this, we need not be paralyzed by the fear of falling short. This is to your point, Omaha about, how the Roman Catholic view view, view salvation is infused. The, the, right. the, that is infused. You can never know. Horton right. says we need not be paralyzed by the fear of falling short. We do and will fall short of Christ's covenantal obedience. However, none of that matters. Finally, God has in his son that righteous life and justice satisfying sacrifice that his holiness requires of us. Forgiveness is not enough since it merely clears the slate and cancels the debts. God requires a living sacrifice of positive obedience. That's exactly what you were just talking about, Omaha. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. God requires a living sacrifice of positive obedience. It is precisely this full and joyful obedience that he has, that is, that God has in Jesus Christ. And this righteousness is imputed to us in justification. On this basis, Horton closes with this, on this basis, justification is not merely forgiveness, but God's crediting us with Christ's fulfillment of the law, unquote. Again, that was Michael Horton, Dr. Michael Horton from his book, Pilgrim Theology, Core Doctrines for Christian Disciples. In his book, a body of divinity, Thomas Watson, who you know, Omaha is my favorite Puritan. Thomas mm-hmm. Watson in his book, A Body of Divinity, said this, quote, 
Justified persons may fall from degrees of grace. They may leave their first love. They may lose God's favor for a time, but not lose their justification. If they are justified, they are elected, and they can no more fall from their justification than from their election. If they are justified, they have union with Christ. And, and can a member of Christ be broken off? If one justified person may fall away from Christ, all may. And so Christ would be a head without a body, unquote. That was Thomas Watson from A Body of Divinity. In his commentary on Romans chapter 4, the late theologian James Montgomery Boyce said this. Again, this is from his commentary on Romans 4. James Montgomery Boyce said, quote, True faith has assurance because it is directed neither at ourselves nor to circumstances, but to God. We are weak, so faith grounded in ourselves is always weak and will weaken further, waver, and slip away, just as Peter's faith wavered when he looked away from Jesus and instead glanced at the churning waves of Galilee over which he was attempting to walk from the disciples' small boat to the master. That's Matthew chapter 14, verses 28 through 31. Faith that is grounded in the being and character of God will go from strength to more strength mm. since God is faithful, mm-hmm. unquote. Mm-hmm. That was James Montgomery Boyce in his commentary on Romans 4. He says, faith that is grounded in the being and character of God will go from strength to more strength since God is faithful. Boyce said, God is faithful. Well, how faithful is God? Well, listen to these passages of Scripture about the character of God in whom you, believer, have placed your faith and trust. Mm-hmm. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 18. Hebrews 6, verses 13 through 18. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. And so, having patiently waited, he obtained, that is, Abraham obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end to every dispute. In the same way, God desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness, listen to this, the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge, that is, we who have believed, would have strong encouragement. That's another way of saying assurance, strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. That was Hebrews 6, verses 13 through 18. In Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 22, again, we're talking about the character of God here. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 
2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And then there's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he. Oh, wow. Faithful is he who calls you. And he also will bring it to pass. Mm-hmm. Now, the passages I just read remind me of these words from J.I. Packer in his classic book, Knowing God. If you have not read Knowing God, please get a copy of J.I. Packer's Knowing God. You will never be the same after reading it. Packer in Knowing God says this, quote, psychologically, faith is our own act. But the Mm. theological truth about it is that it is God's work in us. Our faith and our new relationship with God as believers and all the divine gifts that are enjoyed within this relationship were all alike secured for us by Jesus' death on the cross. For the cross was not an isolated event. It was, rather, the focal point in God's eternal plan to save his elect and it ensured and guaranteed first the calling, the bringing to faith through the gospel in the mind and the Holy Spirit in the heart, and then the justification and finally the glorification of all for whom specifically and personally Christ died, unquote. Thoughts on that. This is so good. This whole section is really, really powerful. I mean, it, it, again, we go back and revisit the character of God, the attributes of God, the fact that we have faith in God. Our faith is not in faith. This is not faith in, in, in our own ability, faith in our own works. This is a faith in God. It reminds me again of, of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of of things not seen. I mean, we, our, our faith should indeed be in God. And, and, and I love what you did with the scriptures that you read because it, it goes back and, and reiterates the faithfulness of God in the character of God, Hebrews 6, 13 and following, right? Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. All of these assure us of the confidence that we can have in God, in Christ, because of what he has done. Mm-hmm. And he has proven himself to be faithful time and time and time mm-hmm. again. So for us to know and understand the faithfulness of God and, and, and then doubt that faithfulness is indeed sin uh, that we need to repent of and get back to trusting in the finished work of Christ. Thank you, brother. You know, as we prepare to close out this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast on Assurance of Salvation, I want to quote once more from my favorite Puritan, Thomas Watson, from the book that I quoted from earlier, A Body of Divinity. Thomas Watson said this, quote, please listen closely. This is so good. Watson said, quote, faith will make us walk, but assurance will make us run. Faith will make us walk, but assurance will make us run. We shall never think we can do enough for God. 
Assurance will be as wings to the bird, as weights to the clock, to set all the wheels of obedience running, unquote. That was Thomas Watson from A Body of Divinity. Now, having read those words from Thomas Watson, I want to say to our listeners that everything you've heard Omaha and me say to this point in this episode was leading up to this one passage of Scripture that I want to leave you with, okay? It is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 9, with an emphasis on verses 8 and 9. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 4 through 9. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here verses 8 and 9, please listen closely who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. This is verse 9. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, that was 1 Corinthians 1, verses 4 through 9. Verse 8 says that God will confirm you to the end, mm. blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, over the course of this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast, Virgil and I have endeavored mm-hmm. to point those of you who may be struggling with assurance of your salvation to Jesus and to his faithful, trustworthy, and righteous character as the source of your assurance and a way your own character as flawed as a flawed and sometimes doubting sinner. Okay. Now, speaking of doubting, I want to share a passage from the book, the way to true peace and rest, the way to true peace and rest by the 17th century, century Scottish reformer, Robert Bruce, Robert Bruce, which, and I hope what I'm about to say will be uplifting to our listeners who are struggling with their assurance. Robert Bruce in the book, the way to true peace and rest says this quote, The question thus arises, whether it is possible for both faith and doubting to have a place in one man's soul. I answer that it is very possible and that every one of God's servants have experienced of this. Be assured of this. There is no conscience so completely at rest that it is without any trouble. And there is no man so pure that his life is free of every iniquity. Therefore, there are times when God chooses to bring his dearest children into this valley of doubting. Nevertheless, when he does that, he also sustains and protects them from despair. Do you not know that this faith of ours is never perfect, but is subject to continual development and growth, yet never in this life reaches total perfection? As long as we are here on earth, we are subject to faltering, to wrestling, to doubting, and to manifold errors. Yet all these imperfections are freely pardoned through the righteous merits of Jesus Christ. So let a man examine his faith and compare it with the perfection demanded in the scriptures and with that growth in grace exhorted on us. And is there anyone who shall not fear? 
Let this personal examination be in the light of all that is craved of us in the holy writings. And so let that man cast his eyes on the manifold corruptions within, and let him also consider the heavy judgment of God hanging over the sinner's soul and body. Will he not tremble? It is inevitable that he will, as often as he searches his own heart and sees his unclean affections. So I say this, this apprehension and doubting are the common experience of all the Lord's best Mm. servants. Mm. I want to read that latter part again. Mm. He says, will he not tremble? When we think of God's judgment hanging over our soul, Mm -hmm. will anyone not tremble? Mm -hmm. It is inevitable that he will as often as he searches his own heart and sees his unclean affections. Mm -hmm. So I say, this apprehension and doubting are the common experience of all the Lord's best servants. That's wow. Good. That's good. In Mark 9, 24, the father of the demon-possessed son said to Jesus, quote, I do believe, help my unbelief, unquote. Mm. I do believe, help my unbelief. It is against the backdrop of that prayer that I want to leave our listeners with these encouraging words, Omaha. These words here are so uplifting. They come from J.C. Ryle, the 19th century English theologian, J.C. Ryle. Ryle says this, quote, please listen. Please listen closely, my beloved. Ralph says, quote, let me, let me offer some encouragement to those who have good reason to hope they have peace with God, but are troubled by doubts and fears. You have doubts and fears, but what do you expect? What would you have? Your soul is married to a body full of weakness, passions, and infirmities. You live in a world that lies in wickedness a world in which the great majority do not love Christ. You are constantly liable to the temptations of the devil, that busy enemy. If he cannot shut you out of heaven, he will try hard to make your journey uncomfortable. Surely these things ought all to be considered. Believing reader, he says, so far from being surprised that you have doubts and fears, I should suspect the reality of your peace if you had none. I think little of that grace, which is accompanied by no inward conflict, Ryle says. There is seldom life in the heart when all is quiet and still and one way of thinking. Believe me, Ryle says, a true Christian may be known by his warfare as well as by his peace. These very doubts and fears which now distress you are tokens of good. They satisfy me that you have really got something which you are afraid to lose. Believing reader, I advise you to beware that you do not help Satan by becoming an unjust accuser of yourself and an unbeliever in the reality of God's grace. You were mentioning that earlier. I'm going to read that sentence again. Ralph says, believing reader, I advise you to beware that you do not help Satan by becoming an unjust accuser of yourself and an unbeliever in the reality of God's work of grace. I advise you to pray for more knowledge of your own heart, of the fullness of Jesus and of the devices of the devil. Let doubts and fears drive you to the throne of grace, stir you up to more prayer, send you more frequently to Christ, but do not let doubts and fears rob you of your peace. 
believe me, you must be content to go to heaven as a sinner saved by grace. And you must not be surprised to find daily proof that you really are a sinner so long as you live. May the Holy Spirit apply this word of encouragement to some reader's soul. May it be the means of establishing the feet of some doubting brother or sister in the way of peace, unquote. Omaha, what you got, man, to close us out? And this was an amazing journey that we walked through in this, you know, and on this particular episode. And I know this is a, this is a lengthy, uh, uh, you know, even, even for us, this is a lengthy treatise on, on this particular subject. I'm glad we did it. I'm glad we walked through it. I think my hope, I know our prayer is that this serves as a, as a resource that you can go back to time and time again, when, when you begin to doubt uh, the, the, the security, the assurance that you have in salvation. And uh, again, w- w- I think Daryl said it wonderfully at the very outset, which is we would we would we would be remiss if we thought we were going to be able to cover the the highest depth, breadth, and width of 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 this topic of this subject. But I do think that in in the two hours that we've spent kind of attacking the issue, that there are a lot of resources for you who are believers who are struggling, who are doubting, who have questions about this subject. I can go back to look at look up and walk through, and we we've left a, a bunch in the. In the notes, in the in the in the show notes at the very end of the show, we want to encourage you to listen to this over and over again, and and for you to send this to others that they can benefit from what we shared. Until next time, uh, we look forward to joining you again for the next edition of the Just Thinking Podcast. The Just Thinking Podcast. Hosted by Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker is a Christ-centered, gospel-focused, and theologically challenging program that boldly and unapologetically addresses social, political, and cultural issues from a biblical worldview. With an international listenership that stretches from the United States and Canada to Romania, Nicaragua, and Mongolia, the Just Thinking Podcast breaks through all ethnic, geographic, social, and cultural barriers to bring the objective truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the issues confronting his church and his people. Subscribe to the Just Thinking Podcast using the podcast app on your Apple or Android smart device, or you can listen online at thebarpodcast.com slash JT.